Okie dokie. Oh. A podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Samuel! Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are continuing to work our way through the Gospels. This is Gospels Part 41. If you've been following along with us, you probably already know how big a deal the Sermon on the Mount is for Jesus, and we've been on the Sermon on the Mount train for several weeks now. And (laughs) last week, we touched on Jesus getting at the heart of humanity's treasure in their lives and sort of pointing out, sort of asking introspectively, where is our treasure? Are we seeking things of this world that are going to be corrupted and destroyed over time or are we storing away our treasures through the kingdom and the world to come like placing them in the trusting of God to take care of that and that he will reward us later on and then he gets at the heart of maybe this form of anxiety on very very trivial things about normal everyday life and how that gets in the way of being able to have the mission of the kingdom on the forefront of our lives and pointing out that even the basic aspects of the created world are being taken care of and they're not putting forth this manner of anxiety and basically kind of getting it to the heart of like how can you be a part of the kingdom if you're so consumed with worrying about these basic things that God has already established that he's going to provide. Um, yeah. And now we're going to continue Yeah, and I mean, you just make me think, I mean, when you're going through it, when you're, you know, doing without or struggling to have even basic needs, does it feel trivial? Does it feel small? Of course not. No. It feels like the whole world at that moment. And so, you know, nobody's trying to minimize that. It's just the idea of, look, in the grand scheme and in all of the prioritization that's going on, got to understand there's a God who's in control and taking care of that stuff. Leave room for him to to act, you know. It's, mm-hmm. I don't, it's just good. All right. Well, Samuel, we are about to hit, I don't know, this is probably a couple of the worst, worst misunderstood verses. I don't know. I'm sure there are others, but these are some good ones. So you ready? Yeah, let's let's, let's tear them up. Uh, we're looking at Matthew chapter seven verses one and two, but they correlate with uh, Luke chapter six verses thirty-seven and thirty-eight. And I think I'm going to read Luke this time. He says this: "Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven." Give, and it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, Samuel, I don't know if you've been keeping a tally. How many times has this been improperly used to shut down a discussion about someone walking in sin? Do not judge. A whole bunch. It's a big number, right? (laughs) It's a really, really, really big number. Yeah, and this has nothing to do 
with, uh, I don't know, the idea of somehow moving the line between right and wrong or, or removing the line between right and wrong. That's not what this is about. This also has nothing to do with the courts of law. Um, this is about, it's more about you in your own head. It's about passing judgment or, or somehow categorizing people or pronouncing something as final. And, you know, kind of along the lines of, you know, whether somebody is or isn't going to heaven, we would say in America, right? That, that kind of stuff. See, that judgment is God's and God's alone. And, and even, let's go somewhere else so you can kind of get the idea. Let's go look at James, James 4, 12. Samuel, why don't you read that one? There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So that judgment is not ours. It belongs to the one who is able to save. We're not able to do that. And to destroy. We're not able to do that. And then it asks, who are you to judge your neighbor? Well, what are they talking about? Judging in God's place as the one lawgiver and judge. However, Samuel, should we be judging, for example, whether one another's words and behavior line up with what God has defined as good and righteous? I mean, if you didn't, there would be no sharpening of one another. Exactly. Yeah, that's a a positive way to look at it. For sure. And see, people, it's almost like they do it on purpose, but whatever. They're misusing this verse. This idea of judging one another, at least in like thoughts, words, and actions, that's the big, the big three, right? That's an important part of our walk together as the body of Christ. So this whole mindset, you know, that, that manifests in phrases like, you shouldn't judge me. The Bible says so. That is a lame argument when you're being confronted about sin. And it's just, I'll say, it's a a willful misuse of the word. So, kind of gets me riled up because I see people do it and it's like, you're speaking out of misunderstanding or willful misuse, whatever, and it it just bugs me. But... Yeah, and, and you're kind of taking it in the same light all the way back to the creation story with how... Adam and Eve misappropriately declared what was good for themselves outside of the bounds of what God had said was good. In the same way, it's like humanity has a tendency to overstep them their bounds on declaring what they want to define as judgment for someone else's life. And it, it's like this really tricky balance because we're supposed to mimic God and seeing his goodness and being an an actor of his justice on the earth but unless you like know his story and you're really trusting in it and letting it flow through you organically there's a a real tendency to skew that and abuse it and it turns more destructive than it is good yeah yeah see that's a really good example and a really really good way to say it because remember where we're at we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. What is Jesus doing? Is he trying, well, let me just say it this way. He's trying to paint a picture 
of what citizens of the kingdom look like so that we can be that, right? And so just as all along we've heard about things like we we need to be generous uh, with our time and our energy and our resources, right? We we talked about treasures in heaven or having a good eye, not worrying, all of those things. Well, in the same way, we need to be generous uh, when it comes to judgments. Judgment can be either good or bad. Well, you know what? Try to be generous in judgment. And how about be stingy? with condemnation. Yeah, instead of resources, huh? That'd be a good one. And how about we be generous with forgiveness? And that's that's the whole I mean that's that's what's sticking with the theme in the Sermon on the Mount. See, and all of this it, uh, if you think about it, it actually connects us right back to the Lord's prayer and it's raising again that whole principle of measure for measure. And Remember in the Lord's Prayer, what were we talking about specifically, Samuel? What was the the thing that we were supposed to do measure for measure? Uh, it's extending forgiveness and mercy to our neighbor. Yeah, the, the forgiveness thing. And, and so uh, it's also, as you can see here, as it's, as it's sort of, you know, growing through the Sermon on the Mount, it's also about judgment and condemnation too. And now I just want to ask, uh, he's already brought up forgiveness. Now we're bringing up judgment and condemnation. Uh, Samuel, what do you think? Is this the exhaustive list, or do you think there could even be more things? <laughs> Knowing the Jewish Jesus, I would say that there's lots more. Of course there is. Yeah, and again, that's why we're calling it the principle of measure for measure, because it it covers so many things. And I, I remember, I don't remember how long it's been. It seems like maybe it was the last podcast or, I mean, it was recently, we know that. Uh, we said something like, uh, the thing that we're familiar with, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? The golden rule kind of a thing. Uh, except this is more God-centric. It's more like do unto others as you would have God do unto you. And it's a, it's a great picture to get in your head. Now, also, I love this part. This is going back to Luke 6, 38, talking about give and it will be given to you. And then it's, you know, I mean, you can almost hear it. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, right? I mean, you can hear it. But contrary to all this popular teaching that you're going to get during offerings in church in America, this is not about God giving you financial blessings. It's about God treating you as you treat others. And that, man, what a mindset to have. Just thinking about every action that you perform, every word that comes out of your mouth, all of those things, just keeping it in your head, what I'm about to say, what I'm about to do, is this how I want God to act toward me? But I talk about a life changer. If, if we could do that, that would be, we'd turn the world upside down, just like they did in their time, right? Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, we should also mention, though, I made a joke, and I was, you know, doing the good measure, press down, shaking together, right? But God does have a very generous sense of fairness. I mean, his measure always seems to outdo ours. 
which is pretty darn good news, especially, you know, when you're talking about things like judging and condemning and forgiving, whatever, uh, that that wouldn't be great news if we were talking about his wrath, <laughs> just as one example, right? But this, it's, it's just, this should be instructing us in how we might better imitate him in everything that we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. I have a little Jewish nugget. I can't remember where I read it from. I'm thinking maybe I even have mentioned it in a previous episode, but there's this Jewish teaching of basically the long story short, given giving other people the benefit of the doubt mm, in how yes. you interact with them, you think of them, you treat them. And I know that that seems a little off whenever you hear it at first glance, but let me provide an example. It's like if you're having some type of social interaction with someone and you're feeling frustrated at their behavior, how they're responding, and you're wanting to declare like what their reality is, like they are this type of person because of you know how they're behaving in this moment, the Jewish teaching would say, you have no idea what this person is struggling with, yeah. what type of demons they're facing, how their other relationships are affecting the way that they're living their life today, what they're going through, what the burdens they're bearing. Like, yeah. How about you give them the benefit of the doubt in this scenario and like trust that there are aspects to their character that are still worthy of dignity and respect. And it just kind of makes you think and maybe take a step back from declaring what you think you know about that person and and reflecting and like meditating and maybe like praying for them instead. Yeah. And not only is that a really good example and wise and all of those things, it's like the perfect segue to the next section. Nice. Did not plan that. Yeah. Oh, come on now. Yeah. I saw you scratching down. And then I'll say, and then Paul will say. All right, but no, I'm I'm totally serious. This is perfect. Let's go on. Uh, This is Matthew uh, chapter seven, verses three through five. It's also Luke chapter six, verses forty-one and forty-two. But check this out. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, uh, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, I, I, I actually, I wrote this down because it's kind of, I, I don't know, it seems important right at this point. I don't know if you've noticed, Samuel, all along in the Sermon on the Mount, we started with this focus that was on, uh, you know, the kingdom and the law, righteousness, all of those things. So it was, it was almost like, I, I don't know, like defining things or, you know, painting a picture of things. And then it seemed to kind of casually moved into something more of an inward focus, like, like inside ourselves, began to address what all of these things might look like in a person who's trying to walk out all of that stuff that we were learning, you know, with the kingdom, the law, and the righteousness, and all that, right? So, so it's something internal. Well, now, as you can see, and, you know, these are fuzzy lines, whatever, but you can see that now we're trying to tackle maybe that, that really messy area of how all of these things somehow have to find their way outward. 
See, it doesn't do any good for us to know these things if we don't act upon them. They've got, they've got to find their way out, and that means that somehow we have to interact with the world. We're going to affect the world around us, so it's starting to become external. Now, again, I, I said, you know, it's not like there are hard lines. Oh, look, right here's where it went internal. Oh, here's where it went external. But you can kind of see it through here. You get a little overlap, whatever. But uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's continuing on the theme. It's just moving it in a different direction. So anyway, back to what we were talking about. You got uh, the thing that you said about, you know, from your, your Jewish teaching. And now we're talking about the speck. So Jesus, right, it's right here, Sam. He's emphasizing the folly of judging others. And so remember, the context had started, the last section we talked about, is it's with the judgment, and that's, that was God's domain. And so here, this isn't, it isn't only about uh, judging words and behavior against Scripture, etc., but of course, we can see that it's definitely made that move. And the point uh, we can see through all of this, it's, it's highlighting just how ill-equipped we are to judge one another, whether that's trying to stand in God's place, which we shouldn't do ever, or if it's even doing the thing that we are actually supposed to do. In every domain, we just, we struggle properly judging things, right? We're quick to notice, this is very much like your story, quick to notice the shortcomings of others, even when they're just minor things. And yet at the same time, it's very easy for us to overlook the, uh, well, sometimes glaring deficiencies in ourselves. And just, come on, everybody listening, just be honest. We do this. This is a human thing, right? All the time. Yeah. So this, it just makes us less than suitable for the task of judging eternal destinies or God's position, position or stance regarding a person in any given situation. And, and it, it only, at, at best, leaves us hopeful that we might find a way to be useful to one another in judging the everyday things like thoughts and words and actions, etc. So, I don't know, I love uh, the, the whole imagery here with the log and the speck, I think is super good. But I, I, I wanted you uh, to see something, Samuel. In verse 5, he says, you hypocrite. And remember how we defined what a hypocrite was here in first century Judaism? Isn't it almost like an actor? Yeah, yeah, the actor thing, instead of the guy who says one thing and does another. Mm -hmm. but, but even here, it still fits with that first century meaning. It could also fit with our modern day one. But, but look, it's, the, the interesting thing is it's not by choice this time, right? You're operating in blindness and ignorance. You got this big log in your eye, right? And you're trying to remove a speck from someone else's eye. Well, that behavior turns you into a spectacle. Everybody's noticing you. It's drawing attention to you. So it's that same, same idea that we talked about with hypocrite before. So it makes mm -hmm. you a, a hypocrite. And in this case, we should just say in both senses. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, love that picture. All right. Uh, and speaking of not being able to see very well, shall we keep going? <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
Now this, Luke, uh, well, we're kind of moving things around again. Remember, we're trying to do the in some sort of orderly, timely fashion. So we're going to skip over to Luke real quick and look at verses, uh, chapter six, verses 39 and 40. He says this. So remember, we were just talking about the guy. He couldn't see because he had a log in his eye trying to move a speck, whatever. So he says this. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Well, wow. Doesn't that kind of feel like that doesn't fit, Samuel? Does seem odd. Yeah. Feels like it just came out of nowhere. What's the, what's the phrase? A non sequitur? Mm-hmm. It just, I don't know. Now, again, we've moved it out of sequence a little bit, but I think by us moving it, we've actually helped it make a little more sense in the whole scheme of things, but it doesn't feel like it yet. So what do we got here? Well, first of all, we obviously see that this little bit has something to do with teaching. Okay. But well, we've talked about a number of things that have to do with eyes. Remember, uh, it wasn't too far back. We were talking about the good eye versus the bad eye. Remember that one? Mm-hmm. So as we attempt to move these principles that that were at you know at one point just kind of internal, now we're trying to move them external, move them outward. One way that we might do that is through teaching, okay? But I mean, we should at least be cautious. Make sure that we have indeed gained some measure of understanding. I hope that our eye is good that we truly see. And then uh, for for the other side of the equation, we need to be uh, seeking a teacher who also sees clearly. And so now you can see it, a blind man leading a blind man. Okay, well, if you think of it, what if you had a, a teacher who didn't really know anything, they would be like a blind man. And if you didn't know anything, and that's why you were looking for a teacher, and you went to this teacher who didn't know anything either, <laughs> now you're both just blind men, and don't you both fall in a pit. <laughs> that's, that's how this thing works. So, but notice what he says, a disciple is not above his teacher. Well, think about that. If you have a blind guide, a blind teacher, are you going to all of a sudden see clearly? through this guy? That wouldn't make any sense, right? You're going to be blind just like him. You're going to remain blind because, well, what's he going to do? He's going to pass on to you blindness. If he falls in a pit, what are you going to do, Samuel? Go right in with him. Follow him right in there because you don't know any different. But of course, the opposite, this that's the only example that, that Luke gives is the, the bad one. The opposite is also true. If you had a well-seeing teacher well, obviously, they could bring you safely through. And as long as you were learning from them, then you also would become well-seeing, at least in theory, and you could go safely through. And that's what he's saying here. Everyone, will he, everyone when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Now, obviously, that's just a general principle. And and uh, another way you uh, you will find it said is that uh, you will not exceed your teacher. 
right? You'll only be like him. You will not exceed him. Well, that's generally true. It doesn't have to be a hard and fast rule. There are some people who are just, you know, uh, amazing and, and they exceed others, whatever. The real point is that by attaching yourself to a teacher, you become like him. And this is true whether the teacher is a good teacher or a bad teacher. And so it's on you. And this is important that you hear this. Teachers shouldn't be out looking for people, hey, come join me type thing. It should be much more like you need to go find a good teacher. Don't be waiting for him to find you. And, you know, for what it's worth, I mean, this is, it's, I don't know. I see it as another way that God or Jesus, however you want to say that, isn't requiring of us sinless perfection, right? What he's looking for is a sincere, uh, faithful pursuit of righteousness. And, and I mean, as defined by God. And, and it, 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 here's what I mean. We are disciples of Christ. Is that true, Samuel? For sure. Yeah. But, hello? Is he actually here walking among us, talking to us, teaching us, etc., etc.? No. No, he's not. He was in the first century. Hooray for them. But we don't have that. But what do we have, Samuel? We have the Spirit. Yeah, the Holy Spirit is one thing. And, I mean, that's pretty good news in and of itself. But that's not even the only thing, Samuel. Any idea what else we have? Um, We have, like, the body other people who are following as well yeah exactly the point of this little paragraph here or the the parable we have other disciples who become teachers or act as teachers and and so we see even in this case this little parable we see you know what they built in there's like this expectation that men will help each other in gaining understanding. And that comes with some of them are going to be good at it and some of them not. And we need to gravitate toward those who are good. Hold on to the good stuff. And not like we somehow, you know, treat the guys who aren't as good at it like, you know, there's something wrong with them or treat them bad or anything, but it's just we we aim for the best. You go for the best. Now, I have a question about one part of this okay. uh, before we move on um, this the aspect of you will not exceed your teacher yeah. now do you know at least within Jewish thinking philosophy was there any mindset within that rabbinical relationship between a teacher and a student for there to be a yearning within the teacher of wanting the student to eventually surpass himself in knowledge and wisdom and righteousness the reason i ask that is you know it's not like i have a crazy amount of experience in teaching but i did teach one year of high school chemistry (laughs) (laughs) i definitely had a desire it's like i really wish that all of you all those who are interested in learning this will eventually be better at it than i am because i know that if that becomes your reality, I feel confident that's going to lead to, you know, a more successful life uh, in whatever endeavor you, they they pursue. So it's 
seems like that concept should apply for a rabbinic relationship too. Yeah. Oh, I, and I mean, I'm not there. I don't know them. And, and I, I can't recall any specific writings or anything that might speak to that uh, specifically. But just knowing humans and, and the very thing that you said, I'm sure, of course, they wanted that. Of course they did. But here's kind of what's at play. This, this just add the extra little human element. Let's say you got a guy who's a really good teacher. Now, just you've met a number of people in your life, Samuel. If this guy's a really good teacher, chances are just across the human spectrum, you got to think he's probably on the higher end in terms of wisdom, intelligence, understanding, etc. True? You think that seems mm. fair? Generally. Okay. So if that were true, and he had a number of disciples across his life, just, just a numbers game, Samuel, how many of them are likely, just in terms of their makeup, their build, their whatever, are actually going to be able to exceed him? It seems like a fraction, like a, yeah. a le- less than majority. Yeah. Those that could possibly exceed him are going to be very small in number if he is, you know, an honest-to-goodness good teacher. And so I think that that desire probably was there, but I think that in reality, at least for the majority of disciples, it comes down to a thing of, if only Mm. you could attain the same level as your teacher, if only you could do that, you know, that's going to be the norm. And again, as I mentioned before, it's not a hard and fast rule. Of course, there were always going to be those who exceeded their teacher. That's great. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. I expect you to exceed me in whatever role I have played as a teacher in your life, right? Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. It, of course. Except that, I mean, given the numbers, you've got a really good chance at it. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm just saying, it's, uh, uh, yeah, I think what you're imagining is very real. I think they they wanted it more than anything. Gotcha. It just probably didn't happen much. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. All right. Now, now here's the thing. We're going to continue on the topic of teaching, except it's going to feel like it gets a little bit mean. So you ready for that, Samuel? You shake the blood through my system to get ready. (laughs) All right. Here it goes. Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. He says this. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Okay. Did I just say we were going to continue on teaching or something? What was was that? (laughs) Well, I actually, it it is. Let me me explain. So this is, it's kind of a complimentary kind of a saying to go along with Luke's blind man and and the disciple bit, okay? Continuing thought on teaching. A part of this is, it's that idea, uh, again, we're talking about how are we interacting externally? How is this stuff you know, being passed on from us, if you will, learning, eventually teaching, okay? So he mentions a couple things. Let's let's talk about different things. First of all, we're not supposed to give what is holy, and we're not supposed to throw pearls. So what's this holy and pearls stuff? Well, 
given the context, it's actually, you know, both of these things represent teaching, teaching from Scripture, uh, especially uh, Torah. Now, even today, modern uh, America, we're familiar with the phrase, pearls of wisdom. Sound familiar, Samuel? I think so. Yeah, everybody's heard that. Now, the thing is, when we say it, okay, it's a little less specific. You know, it could be just any kind of words of wisdom from any old place. And I mean, you know, sometimes it's they're, they're jokes, you know, humorous kind of thing, whatever. But in in the Jewish context, it was very specifically talking about teaching from Torah. Now, what's also interesting, this this first phrase, do not give dogs what is holy. Well, there was an actual specific rule, a law that the meat from the altar should not be given to dogs. So he's in the middle of this talking about teaching. And as we continue to talk, you'll see that this verse is very specifically about teaching. And yet he uses a phrase that calls back to the law and what you do with holy things from the altar. So it's, I mean, it's just kind of cool. We've got a little double entendre going on here. Hmm. Um, but what are, we, what are we doing? We're, we're not supposed to give the holy things to who? Dogs. And we're not supposed to give the pearls to who, Samuel? Uh, pigs. Yeah. Now, this is going to sound mean. This is the part I was telling you about. The dogs, okay, those were Gentile idolaters. And the pigs, those were Romans. Oof. Yeah. These were just common, common epithets, common names that you would hear. And I mean, you know, they're kind of mean. <laughs> I'm not going to deny it, but it, it might be today because, I mean, we don't, we don't do that. We don't look at a whole group of, group of people and go, oh, you bunch of dogs or, oh, you pigs, you know, that kind of thing. And so it's probably a little more appropriate for us just to think, I don't know, some sort of more general term like uh, the ignorant and the unteachable. And, and those aren't mean things. Those are objective things, right? Ignorant and unteachable. So uh, in Jesus's, uh, his whole ministry teaching up to this point and all the stuff that's to come, well, we know that Jesus readily accepts those who are willing to sincerely seek God. And we've even seen that this can include Gentiles and Romans. So, I guess maybe another way to say it is it's speaking of those who are opposed to God and unwilling to hear. Those are the dogs and the pigs, even though in context it was specifically Gentiles and Romans. So you got the holy things, you got the pearls, those are the teachings from from Torah. Uh, you got the dogs and the pigs, the the ignorant and unteachable, the Gentiles, Romans, whatever. And now what are you supposed to do? Well, you're supposed to not give and not throw. All right, so if we're talking about teaching and we're talking about people groups, not giving and not throwing is talking about trying to impart the wisdom of God, the wisdom of the scriptures to those who are not ready to receive it. And this is hard, I think, for a lot of, especially American Christians to hear because uh, well, at least especially among evangelicals, they want to go out there and convert the world, right? They just, they, they want to, that, that's how they're built. Well, 
if you go out and do this, you try to impart the the wise teachings of God from Scripture to people who aren't ready to hear it, it's not going to have its intended effect. And in fact, it may have it may result in like trouble and danger for you, right? They trample them and un, uh, underfoot and turn and attack you kind of a thing. And then my mind just keeps rolling, Samuel. Didn't God just say something about not judging? Or, yeah. I'm sorry, I said God. I mean Jesus. Yeah. Right? Red letter. <laughs> Didn't he just say that? Well, of course he did, but this is just further evidence. He's not speaking about any and all forms of judging, right? We tried to limit it back to, you know, God's domain of judging, where we still were able to judge words and actions, etc. Okay, so how are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to not uh, give dogs what is holy and throw pearls before pigs if we don't make some sort of judgment about who's who? You have to do it. So I'm going to try to pick some words. It, it's it's like in judging, we do have to you know discern or weigh things, maybe estimate or evaluate, right? That, that's all a part of our walk. But what we shouldn't be doing is like coming to some sort of final determination or declaration or pronouncement, like as in judgment, as if it's from God's perspective. So again, you're seeing that you're you're seeing it. I don't know, kind of explained through here. I don't know if that was the purpose of the way this was written, but you can see that there is yet judging for us to do. And then uh, final thought: this ties back to the speck in the log. While you're trying to discern and weigh and estimate and evaluate, whatever, all those words we used, uh, you know what? Don't forget, you just may have bigger issues than whoever it is you're interacting with. And you should also remember that if you're trying to remove specks from the wrong eyes, you just might get a log upside your head. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man, that is super good um i'm so glad that you brought this concept up about trying to impart the wisdom of god to those who are not ready to receive it because i think that that i mean like you said it's going to be a tough thing for the western church to hear because i think it's such a prevalent tension that a lot of people are experiencing in their i don't know what other what other way to call it other than their life of evangelism and trying to share the gospel to others it's it seems like a lot of times people in certain social cultural whatever circles it's almost like they're trying to fit a round peg into a square hole because i i I don't know i mean i don't want to speak for people but i feel like that there there is some distinction in being able to perceive whether a person wants more out of life or doesn't and when you're trying to give per- give someone this story and their attitude is like you know don't even try and you like continue to do that like that's what you said like it can be destructive it can be painful it can be dangerous at times and so like I feel like our efforts could be better suited in those particular circles in practicing things like radical generosity, radical hospitality, uh, 
in how we treat them to give them experience of what the kingdom looks like without maybe having to give them the the spiel or imparting that specific wisdom in hopes that like their walls can be broken down over time um but yeah i'm just glad that you brought that up because i think it happens a lot and people maybe don't realize that yeah yeah it's like um they get wrapped up in this is what we're supposed to do and and they sort of i don't know if this is fair they kind of rationalize it as well we're planting seed god of water you know and you know what i'm sure that sometimes that is true sometimes it is but sometimes i think you're out scattering seed in a giant sea of concrete Mm. it's like you know how about how about you just pay attention to who it is you're talking to and why don't you you know put your effort and energy in a place where it's going to be useful and i mean right here again this is jesus talking he's telling you use a little discretion in what it is you do with the holy things with your pearls Mm -hmm. so it's good stuff now here's another one boy Ooh, this is one of those sections of scripture that gets used for just about everything under the sun but what we're going to try to do is bring it back to its context you ready for that samuel oh yeah all right so we're still in matthew chapter 7 we're going to read verses 7 through 11 and it says this ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened or which one of you if his son asks him for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him now i mean we got to be i mean we just we can't act like it doesn't exist this really feels like a topic switch right samuel yeah it does and I think part of what lends to that is that so many people use this little section of Scripture like isolated. They just snip it right out from everything that's around it, and they want to, you know, turn it into, you know, whatever they want to use it for. I mean, it it seems handy. It's like a a Swiss Army knife. You can use it for everything. Um, But here's the thing. I think if, if we just pay attention to the context that it's in... There are a couple of things that seem appropriate or maybe even obvious. Uh, On one hand, we could say that this is about the topic of prayer. In fact, it seems kind of obvious because it's talking about asking. And what does prayer mean? To pray is to ask. So it's a reasonable argument, seems obviously true. But I think also we need to consider it's reasonable that it's a continuation of the thought that we were just talking about, like, how do I find a good teacher? Or how do I be a good teacher? Or maybe a better teacher? Or how is it that I know who is fit to receive these truths or these nuggets of wisdom, pearls of wisdom, right? All of those things. I mean, that's what we've been talking about. And this comes on the heels of that. So either this is about what we've been talking about or the thing that's coming ahead doesn't 
connect any better to the thing ahead. So um, I think it would even be reasonable to say, well, maybe that this is about prayer and specifically prayer regarding these topics like finding a good teacher, being a good teacher, finding those willing to receive the truths, all that kind of stuff. And then it, with that, he continues on with the whole ask, seek, and knock thing. Um, and I, I, I would bet most people listening have probably heard somebody teach a sermon on, you know, hey, this isn't just ask. It means to ask and keep on asking, right? And et cetera, et cetera. And you know what? It's true. I mean, it's, it's true. But I don't know. It's, sometimes people take it like, you know, we're supposed to get super serious and focused about just this one request and we, we just become relentless with God because it's so important to us. And, you know, you kind of get that image of the woman and the judge and all that thing. And, well, I mean, maybe. But I think more appropriately, because this whole idea of, of you know, having a good eye, seeing clearly, being a good teacher, finding a good, these are lifelong pursuits. So this is more likely describing a lifestyle continually, uh uh-oh, ask and keep on asking, continually seeking help and guidance in the areas we're we're talking about right now, just as a way of life. We ask and we seek and we knock. uh, It's like together they suggest that we, we have to show an earnestness, a diligence, a perseverance in our pursuit of understanding and wisdom mm. not god can i have that bmw so uh it, after we ask seek and knock it says that you know you're going to receive or you're going to find or the door will be opened so all of this and and I, i'm i'm jumping ahead a little bit in the text that we read but all of this gets placed within the analogy of the parent and the child And this really helps us to understand what's being communicated. It's not a magic formula. We, if if you live and you're around, whatever, you can see a child's ability to ask for good things. Now, it's not perfect. I mean, hey, are the children occasionally suspect in their asking, Samuel? (laughs) Yeah. Of course they are. Yeah. And at the, in, in the same way, you can see, if you've just been around and watched people, you can see a parent's wisdom in trying to, you know, fulfill the desires, the requests in the best possible manner. And again, it's not perfect. They are occasionally suspect. We all get that. But let's balance what we're talking about. Asking and seeking and knocking with receiving and finding it'll be opened Samuel, I'm going to ask you to read uh, James chapter 4, verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Yeah. Uh Uh-oh. Asking and seeking and knocking actually has boundaries. You can ask wrongly. Well, that's kind of a big deal. And I bet it's a little harder to identify than we think because think about it. Paul asked that the thorn in his flesh be removed. Well, on the surface, that doesn't seem very wrong, does it? No. No. But he never got that answer. He got instead grace. Now, 
that's a pretty good thing too. But I don't know, you know, when you're walking it out, does it always feel that great? Are there times when you're going, yeah, loving that grace, but who sure would like that thorn gone, right? <laughs> but the point is that God is always faithful and we we have to be careful not to let our expectations cloud the actual response to the asking and the seeking and the knocking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. It's, it's, I mean, I'm not a parent. I'm just thinking on the outside looking in, but it seems like any reasonable parent like truly does only want the best for their child and their welfare and being taken care of. And I mean, it, if God represents a father, like that has to be true as well. Um, yeah. And, and that there's that aspect, especially like with a parent and a really young child who doesn't like cognitively understand why a parent does certain things for <laughs> the child's benefit. Like in the moment for that child, it seems like so foreign and almost like they're, they're harming them, but right, it's, it's, right. it's like there's, there's this, separation in maturity knowledge wisdom whatever that that they can't grasp yet and it's the same with god and with us that a lot of times when we think that god isn't hearing prayers answering prayers meeting us where we're at it's because like his way of doing things to care for us is so outside of our ability to comprehend within our own flesh that we're just we're left with that tension yeah and i think that's a great picture when you think of a parent with a very young child who really just doesn't understand very much at all that's probably the best picture to have (laughs) between us and god Mm -hmm. (laughs) we're that very young child with very little understanding and he is so wise he's seen so much yeah that's good and great segue because, I mean, remember what it said in, in what we read. If, you know, if he asks for bread, are you going to give him a stone? If he asks for fish, are you going to give him a serpent? Well, we can see, I guess, you know, this implies at least a couple of truths. Uh, one, you, you may or may not get exactly what you ask for or what you expect. But, number two, okay, you're not going to be mocked by God. That meaning you're not going to be given bad things when you ask for good. It's just that because of your lack of understanding, you're going to receive a good thing, probably a better thing than what you were asking for or expecting. But it it may be difficult for you to understand it. Why is this good? Well, you know, whatever. Uh, But you won't be mocked by God. So uh, this, you know, then also implies and again, a lot of times I like talking about we have a responsibility in this whole relationship. It implies that we have to ask for good things, meaning things which it would be consistent for God, who we know he is, it would be consistent for him to give. Things maybe which he's already promised to give, uh, which would be best for us. And even most for his own honor or his own glory. So that's another big part of it. And then 
Uh, just to point it out again, I, I don't know how many times we'll end up talking about this, but it's good to see these things. Uh, we've talked about the, the Calvacomer argument that, you know, from the light to the heavy, and you mm-hmm. see it right here. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things? So it's whenever you see this kind of an argument, that the things to keep in mind is it's trying to argue a very, very narrow point, right? It's, it's, uh, maybe you could think of it, it's only trying to highlight one thing. And if the lighter thing is true, hey, you know how to give good gifts to your children. Well, if that's true, then how much more true is the heavy thing? The Father in heaven knows how to give good things. And so, I mean, and we know this. I mean, Samuel, would you say that it is undeniably true among men that they know how to give good gifts to their children? For sure, yeah. I mean, I can't argue that. Yeah. And so that is supposed to stand as a proof. I know that that is true. Therefore, when I see this other thing, God knows how to good gifts, give good gifts. Um, it's more true. Now, to be fair, it may also be true, for example, that he knows how to give uh, more gifts or better gifts. But the argument here isn't intended to say more than, if you know how to do it, God knows how to do it even better. Uh, and now the language is a little loose here, you know, whatever, it could be saying more. And it's, there's nothing wrong with us trying to see more in these arguments or in these parables. It's just important to remember, hey, how were they originally meaning it and using it? So we don't get too caught up in going outside the box. Mm-hmm. There's a classic usage, I guess I would say. Uh, but anyway, uh, a side note, uh, there's a, uh, Luke has a story that's very similar to this. Uh, it's in Luke chapter 11, verses 9 to 13. Um, and that one's interesting. It will end up talking about it later. It gets ordered in at a different time. Not sure why. But that one is referring specifically to the Holy Spirit, which is, you know, kind of interesting. Here, Matthew's just being more general. Mm-hmm. Uh, or at least sticking within the context. So, I don't know. Yeah, interesting stuff, though. Yeah. Um, I want to. I have something to add to the Calvacomer. Um, but I want to go back just really quickly to yeah the where is it the asking the seeking and the knocking thing about you saying that it's describing a lifestyle and it. I hope I haven't. I'm not sounding like a broken record if I use similar references among multiple episodes but maybe it's just because they're powerful i don't know but in it made me think of proverbs in chapter four um let's see this is verse seven um it says wisdom is supreme so get wisdom and whatever else you get get understanding and then in verse eight talks about like what happens if you cherish her you embrace her you'll be exalted and honored and i think that that describes a pursuit more than getting to a plateau and then just kind of resting in this sense of platitude that you've gotten to. I think that as long as we're breathing and as long as we're living, we should never feel satisfied in like where we're at in terms of our quote unquote wisdom health. And we should always seek to 
understand and know more about God and our fellow neighbor and stuff. So I, yeah. I think that what you said fits perfectly with like other examples in scripture that talks about that it's a lifelong wrestling match um, Yeah, in our lives. Buddy, if you can exhaust God's wisdom, you are a better man than me. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, and then the other thing I was going to say really quickly, this is a little bit outside of the box, maybe for most of our listeners, but the the Calvacomer thing, it made me think of, I dabble from time to time in Christian hip-hop and rap, and that there there is this guy... His art, art artist name is Armand Wake Up, but he has this song that's called How Much More, and it's it's talking all about the Calvacomer. Um, oh. Maybe I can remember to post uh, a YouTube link of that song if you want to listen to it. I think it's really cool, and it's got a little catchy hook to it and stuff, so uh, that's a, a good listen to accompany the topic of the Calvacomer. Yeah! Things you never expected when you started listening to this episode, Okie Dokie Mos goes hip hop. <laughs> Sounds like a Broadway play. Yeah. I don't think it sounds like anything. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, I don't know, Samuel. I'm looking at the clock. I'm feeling like we're done. You got anything else? No, I think it's a good good place to stop all right yeah i mean stopping at hip-hop there's nothing better than that i'm calling it we're done okie dokie thank you for listening to the okie dokie most podcast please don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode and be sure to leave us a rating and a review to let us know how this content is impacting your life you can find out more information about this podcast at www.okidokimos.com. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, please send an email to okidokimos at gmail.com. And until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again soon.